Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin were presented by Progressive Insurance. The fellows will be back Monday, January 5th. It's a pleasure to be joined by ESPN College Football Analyst and college football national champion Trevor Maddich. Great to have his perspective. Trev played in the NFL, and what a week to talk about. Week 16 heading to week 17 to have his perspective as we head to the playoff on Friday in the college game. And, of course, a huge Sunday in the NFL. The duality that Trev provides is going to be Great. The duality for the Packers, Trev. Aaron Rodgers, great. Four incompletions, four touchdowns. Devontae Adams, unbelievable. They connected on the first drive of the game. They never looked back. It's the subject of our Twitter question after what we saw from the Packers and a closer-than-expected win for the Chiefs yesterday. But as Andy Reid said, sometimes you just got to gut them out. Who do you trust more in the playoffs? We want to hear from you. 888-SAY-ESPN, Chiefs or Packers, or Key J and Z on Twitter. Chiefs or Packers, who do you trust more in the playoffs with perhaps a Super Bowl 55 collision coming? I trust the Chiefs more. I think they've got more speed on offense in more places, and I like the way their defense is set up because they trust that the offense can score when they need to. They trust that the offense can get a lead, and so the defense just puts their ears back and attacks. This is the most attacking defense in the NFL. And so they'll make some mistakes. They'll get burned because of it, but they'll also make big plays because of it. And I like that style. And when you've got, when you've got a one game playoff, when you get into the playoffs, if you have the opposing offense having to score and keep up with Patrick Mahomes. They expose themselves to that kind of attacking defense. So we want to hear from you again. Trev with some great analysis there picking the Chiefs. But hey, right now the early returns, overwhelmingly about 69% are saying they trust the Packers more. Could be a little recency bias after what we saw from Rodgers. It's hard to doubt them. Again, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, or Key J N Z on Twitter. Who do you trust more? Who do you trust the least? I guess that would be the number four seed in the NFC. That would be the winner of the NFC East, which right now is still trending to be the Washington football team. They have a better than average chance to make it. Their scenario is pretty simple. All they have to do, (laughs) I say all they have to do as if anything is a given in the NFC East, they need to defeat the Eagles on Sunday night. It's a win and in situation for them. It's notable that the Eagles are the only team from the NFC East that has officially been eliminated from playoff contention. That happened yesterday with their loss to the Cowboys, and that's where I want to go. Let's start with Dallas. Set up Week 17. Cowboys are the Giants. Washington football team at Philly, as I mentioned to you. Washington football team win, and they are in. Cowboys still alive. And here's where I want to mention something that a lot of people aren't thinking about because, Trev, as you know, the heat has been on Mike McCarthy. Jerry Jones and his son, Stephen Jones, have said, listen, he's coming back. You lose Dak Prescott. We've had all sorts of issues this year. But we believe in him. He's a team builder. This is why you need to believe in Mike McCarthy. Now, keep in mind, they still have about a 16.9% chance to make the playoffs this year. But for the Dallas Cowboys, they're going to need a win. And then they're going to need Washington to lose to Philly. So the old dreaded win and help scenario. When Mike McCarthy took over the Green Bay Packers, the team he won the Super Bowl with, the essential reason Jerry Jones hired him, right? He's a winner. In 2006, through 12 games in his first season, the Packers were 4-8. and and you know what the Packers did the last four games of the season? Won them all. And they finished at 8-8, eight and eight, just like the Cowboys. An opportunity to win the games on the back end of the schedule and dovetail into 2021 on a high note. They did it in 06, 4-8 to 8-8. Eight and eight. The next year, 13-3, and three, and the rest was history. Largely a very good tenure with the Green Bay Packers. Eventually forced out at the end, but in large part, great. Had a shaky first year. Excellent second year, and then boom, they took off. If I'm a Cowboys fan, shaky first year, 
Good opportunity to finish it on a high note. Dak's back and healthy next year. Boom. I know this hasn't been a great year for the Cowboys, but just keep that in mind with the division still hanging in the balance and possibly a very bullish next year. How crazy is that? I think that the Cowboys could still win this division, right? The Cowboys, Giants, and Washington are all still in it. But I think part of what McCarthy brings to it is a certain kind of credibility. I think the previous coaching staff had a problem that it was seen by players in the locker room as being subordinate to the owner. And therefore, the head coach was not the main arbiter of the player's future. If the head coach is upset with the player, well, whatever. It's what does the owner think? And you can't come together. There can't be credibility, and you can't have a cohesive whole when the head coach is in that situation. I think McCarthy brings more of a of a head coach's office down feel to that team, and I think it'll make it better in terms of the sum of the parts uh, leading to a hole that's greater. There's no question about it. Now, there's a bunch of wild things on the line here in Week 17 for sure, but none wilder than what could be facing the New York Giants. I want you to listen to this scenario. It's been a crazy year for them. They started 0-5 and then 1-7, and then up until a couple weeks ago had a real chance to possibly win the NFC East, which would have been incredible. Right now, their odds aren't particularly great. As I mentioned, Washington is the runaway favorite at 58.7%. All they have to do is beat the Eagles. Cowboys need a little bit of help. It's sandwiched in between. The Giants do have, for whatever it's worth, a 24.4% chance to make the playoffs. They need to win and have Washington lose. So they need to take care of business against the Cowboys. That's step one for the Giants. And then they need the Washington football team to lose to Philly. And right now the Eagles have technically nothing to play for playoff-wise. So that would get them in, Trev. Okay, that's the best-case scenario, right? 0-5, 1-7 to the playoffs with a win and a Washington loss. However, on the other side of the pendulum, they could go from being a possible division winner, and think about the chasm here, Trev, to a top three pick in the draft. If they lose, and then a bunch of teams, Cincinnati, Atlanta, the Eagles, and Houston, they got to win. Those four teams, and the Giants lose. That's a lot to ask for, and that's a lot to think about on the brain here on a Monday morning. But there is a possibility that they could either win the division or finish with a top three pick. It's amazing that both of those hang in the balance for one team heading to Week 17. Right, but everything's relative, isn't it? It's not win the division because the Giants are awesome. It's win the division because the division is putrid. Really, in a lot of ways, it's like the old story of two guys hiking through the woods and a bear comes around the corner and it looks like it's about to eat him. So one guy sits down and takes off his hiking boots and puts on his running shoes. And while he's doing that, his buddy says, why are you doing that? You can't outrun the bear. And he says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Right. Right? right. And so that's why this weird scenario was there. It's nothing that the Giants did in a good way. It's because the whole division is weird. You still think the Washington football team is going to win the division? Give us your rationale here. This would be an amazing situation for all the -the off-the-field trouble they've had. Ron Rivera's uh, battle with cancer. The quarterback situation being in flux. The situation with Dwayne Haskins. The return of Alex Smith. This team has had like a a decade's worth of drama here just in 2020. And to cap it with the division title for a team that you know well, you do some pre- and post-analysis for this team, Mm -hmm. it would just simply be amazing. Yeah, I've watched every snap of this team for the last 20 years doing pregame and postgame. 
and it is drama. I mean, several years ago, I called them the Kardashians of the NFL. I think now <laughs> the Kardashians look at Washington and say, no way, man, that's too much for us. They're too tame. Right? But, but they're getting better now. They're, you can see the future finally as being really positive, built on the foundation of their defense. And I think that's why they'll be able to win this game against Philly, because their defense has a better chance to be disruptive and create problems at the quarterback position on the other team than Philly's defense can do against Washington. Not that Philly's defense isn't good at that. They are. But the Philly offensive line is just banged up so severely, and they're starting a rookie quarterback in Jalen Hurts, who I really respect. I think he's got a bright future, but he's still young and he's making mistakes. With Washington, we don't know if quarterback Alex Smith will be back from that calf injury. We don't know if it'll be Dwayne Haskins, although I seriously doubt that. Uh, It may end up being Taylor Heineke who took over for Haskins late in the Panthers game yesterday. And a lot of fans are calling for him to be the starter if Alex Smith can't go. Well, we need to cool our jets on that one a little bit. <laughs> I would agree. But, yeah. But the thing is, the quarterback position for Washington isn't going to be the big key as long as they don't make big mistakes. I think the Washington defense forcing big mistakes will be the reason that this football team will win the division. Indeed. Last word on that again. For the Washington football team, all they have to do is defeat the Eagles on Sunday night football, and they are in they would clinch the NFC East again a year after sexual assault allegations, the name situation with the team changing its name, moving forward, Ron Rivera's hiring, his battle with cancer, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, everything they've gone through. They can end the year after all those lows. They could end the year on a high note by winning the NFC East. And all they have to do is knock off the only team that has nothing to play for. But that is far from a given. Let's go from A to Z. And speaking of teams that have no hopes for the playoffs, it's not just the Eagles, it's the Texans who have had an absolutely disastrous season. They, of course, have fired Bill O'Brien, and it hasn't really gone well since then. Now the face of the team, and I understand in many ways it is Deshaun Watson, but after everything J.J. Watt has done for the city of Houston, after their natural disaster, and after what he's done for the franchise, calling out his teammates after a disastrous loss to the Bengals, of course, are playing without Joe Burrow, The Texans are flailing, and J.J. Watt is sick and tired of it. We're a professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of and they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16, and we're at 4 and 11, and there's fans that watch this game, that show up to the stadium, that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're 4 and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. Wow. Trev, what do you think? What I think is he is absolutely right. The way I look at it is no matter how desperate the season is or how lost it is, when you step on the field, there's a 300-pound guy on the other side that wants to hit you in the mouth, knock your teeth out, laugh about it on the field, and then brag about it to his girlfriend and his wife and his family at your expense. And if you can't get up as a competitor to that challenge – then you should not be playing this game. 
and adding insult to injury, a top five draft pick that could have been headed the Texans way, the one shining light if there is such a thing in a disastrous 4-11 season. Instead, that pick is headed to the Miami Dolphins as part of the deal that brought Laramie Tensel to the Texans. And it's not just the Tunsil news. If you're wondering in Week 17 for whatever it is worth, like you said, there's a 300-pound guy standing on the other side of the field ready to knock your block off. In week number 17, you've got a situation here where the Houston Texans will see what they're able to do. It possibility of finishing with five wins, but it just doesn't feel like that's where they want to be at any stage of this. And J.J. Watt is absolutely letting everyone have it. I totally agree. I absolutely love it. They will host the Tennessee Titans in week 17. Gigantic implications for the Titans. Nothing, as you just heard from J.J. Watt on the line for Houston. NFL teams eyeing Urban Meyer for a head coaching opening. This story started to percolate yesterday morning from Adam Schefter saying there's a couple teams that are involved here. Of course, as you know, Meyer stepped away from coaching after Ohio State with some health concerns. There's some other people that think he stepped away for some other reasons, but that's another story for another day. He's had a lot of success at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State, but nothing in the NFL. But Trev, you believe this isn't about X's and O's and matchups. There's an intangible here for Meyer that would allow him to succeed at the NFL level, even though he's never paced a sideline there. It's about leadership. I mean, when you look at college, in order to be a successful head coach, you need to be a great leader, you need to be a great recruiter, and a great teacher. Well, in the NFL, you don't have to worry about recruiting because you can just buy free agents or you can draft <laughs> them. But you need to be a great leader and also a great teacher. And Meyer would bring that to the NFL. He's, he had at Ohio State a highly evolved curriculum of not just putting leadership onto the shoulders of players, but rather teaching them the actual principles of leadership through seminars and classes and things like that. So their natural leadership can be enhanced with the techniques of leadership. And then Meyer leads the whole thing. So it really is from the bottom up. But that happens because of the top down. And the way he does it, his style, I think, would resonate very well in the NFL. Urban Meyer might be more driven to the NFL, more driven brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. That's where I want to start with our ESPN NFL front office insider, Mike Tannenbaum. Mike, just your first reaction to the news that Urban is interested in the NFL. There is NFL interest for him. And then throw out some scenarios and what may the, might be the best fit. Yeah, it's certainly intriguing for two reasons. Urban Meyer is a winner and he develops quarterbacks. And if you're running an NFL team, those are two attributes you desperately want. And I agree with what Trevor said. You go all the way back to Bowling Green. He's won and he's developed quarterbacks. Look at Alex Smith at Utah, obviously what they did with Tim Tebow at Florida and one quarterback after next at Ohio State. The concerns are gonna be learning the pro game and you can't just out-recruit your opponents. And Trevor alluded to that to a certain extent, but there are no gimmies. And if I was him, I would load up with three, four, five former NFL head coaches, maybe guys that were recently let go as offensive and defensive coordinators so he can learn systemically how to build a team, how to relate to guys somewhat differently. But starting with Jacksonville and presumably some of these other openings where developing a quarterback will be at a premium, his name will be in the discussion because he has such a flawless track record. Well, one of his former quarterbacks who did so well in college not so well in the NFL so far. That's Dwayne Haskins of the Washington football team. He was a starter at the beginning of this season. He lost his job in part because there was a feeling that he wasn't preparing as hard as he could have, and that showed up on the field. Then, for the second time here in December, he was caught and fined for violating COVID protocols. The first time was October, then 
in December, and all of a sudden he got benched again after having been put back in because of injuries to other people. Lost a job, got it back, people got hurt. Now it's a big mess. What would you do with Dwayne Haskins? Well, I think what's fascinating to me, Trevor, is words matter. And let's go back to the beginning of the season, what Ron Rivera said. Dwayne Haskins stumbled out of the gate. And initially at his press conferences, he talked about Cam Newton and how he invested in Cam Newton. And Cam Newton had growing pains, but that turned into an NFL MVP, a Super Bowl appearance. And you fast forward about a month later, and what was noteworthy to me was that Dwayne Haskins was benched. He went from one to three. He wasn't the backup. And when that happened, that was a signal to me that there was something off the field, either about preparation, lack of professionalism. And unfortunately, that's manifested itself again. So I think when you listen to Ron Rivera, who's an excellent leader, a great communicator, Something is going on there well beyond what we're seeing on the field, which hasn't been good enough, by the way, only completing 50% of your passes in a critical game yesterday and throwing two interceptions. So I think there's a massive question mark in Washington on a go-forward basis on who their quarterback will be. And despite it all, they're still in a win-and-in scenario to try to win the NFC East. The Jets yesterday won. They knocked off the Browns. So Cleveland reeling a little bit, which means next April in Cleveland, Mike, the Jets are locked into the number two overall pick. The draft will be held there beginning on April 30th. So what should they do at pick number two, knowing what obviously Jacksonville is going to do at number one? Well, I'm not just saying this because we have an offensive lineman hosting the show today. (laughs) I actually answered this question 14 years ago, Zubin, which was, in my first year as the general manager of the Jets in 06, I drafted two offensive linemen in the first round, DeBrickishaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold. And I think it starts up front. It's really hard to evaluate Sam Darnold, as Trevor alluded to earlier in the show, because it's just been between scheme changes, coaching changes, but a below average offensive line, it's hard to evaluate him. So I would take Panay Suell. I would put him at right tackle. I would keep Mekhi Becton, a very promising first-round pick, and I would start with there. Because if you could fortify your offensive line, at least that gives you a foundation to build on and see what you have with Sam Darnold. I've been a little disappointed with Justin Fields last couple weeks. He struggled against Indiana, struggled against Northwestern. He's a very intriguing prospect to me, but I just don't know if he's incrementally that much better than Sam Darnold. That's why I would draft the tackle from Oregon and then build from there. What would you do with Mitch Trubisky, quarterback at Chicago? Yeah, I agree with what Jeff Dickerson said earlier in the show. When you look at the last three weeks, those three defenses, Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville, have been below average. But his completion percentage is really encouraging. In two of those three games, he was over 70%. And that's good. To me, what we're seeing is a weakness turning into a strength. I would bring in somebody to compete with him. You know, there could be somebody like a Jameis Winston, let's say, that I would not just give the job unconditionally to Mitch Trubisky, but I would let him compete with somebody else. I would not franchise him. I don't think he's played consistently enough. If that wasn't good enough for him, I would let him go, and that may be a tough decision for Chicago, but when you don't exercise the fifth-year option, that's what happens, and maybe there's a fresh start for both sides. But um, I would give him a chance to come back, but it would not be unconditional because even though these last two weeks are – certainly encouraging and the trajectory is what we want we can't ignore the last four years either last thing for mike tannenbaum our espn nfl front office insider formerly the jets gm and the executive vice president of the dolphins i almost hesitate to say this mike they went the first 83 days of the season without losing a game they were the nfl's last unbeaten team they were 11 and 0 
So uh, give me a little bit of latitude when I ask you this question. Is there another team that needed to win as badly yesterday as the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, Zubin, that's a very fair point. There was some noise around them, and candidly, there still is. They still cannot run the ball. Um, We all know the Pittsburgh Steelers about being a dominant team up front, tough, being able to run the ball, that AFC North mentality, and they're still struggling doing that. Now, look, Ben Roethlisberger made three or four throws yesterday that many people can't make. They have an incredible uh, group of skilled players. They will be hard to defend in the playoffs. But, yeah, they needed a win. They had to take the noise down. And more fundamentally, I think the concerns on the other side of the ball, when you lose great players, Bud Dupree, Devin Bush, those guys are difference makers. And even though you still have T.J. Watt, it's not the same where they can double team him on every snap. So Pittsburgh's going to be a hard out, but I think they've fallen back and they are no longer in the elite status of the AFC. How about that? We'll put the curtain down on week 16 tonight with the Bills and Pats on ESPN, and then it'll set up for an incredible Week number 17. Mike, happy new year. We'll see you in 2021, and we'll see you getting ready for wild card weekend. Great. Thanks, guys. You got it. That's Mike Tannenbaum joining us this morning. A reminder, beginning Tuesday, January 5th, Mike Greenberg begins his show, Greeny, immediately following Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin on ESPN Radio. Greeny takes you inside the stories of the day as only he can. The newsmakers you'd expect, he'll interact with you every single weekday from Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin right into Greeny weekday mornings only on ESPN Radio. On the way, the Washington football team has changed its name. They've changed the coach. They've changed their culture. And now, it appears they're going to be changing their quarterback again. Trevor weighs in next. A guy that's seen every snap for this team for the last 20 years on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin right here on ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm not sure where Dwayne Haskins is playing next year. I'm not sure it's an NFL team. A reminder, this gentleman was drafted in 20. 20- 19 and we're not sure where he's going to be in 2021 that was our espn nfl insider field yates and i'm not thinking he's alone in that Keyshawn j will and zubin presented by progressive insurance the fellows will be back on monday january 4th we'll be running the three-man weave but until then it's great to have the national champion trevor maddich joining us in studio this morning for Keyshawn j will and zubin for those that don't know trevor is the pre and post host and analyst for the washington football team he told us this morning he's watched every snap of this NFL franchise for the last 20 years. Is Dwayne Haskins going to have any snaps for the Washington football team after this year ends? 
After this year, I cannot imagine it, Zubin. I can't imagine it. And it's not because of poor play, although that's been a big part of it. No doubt. You can forgive poor play with a young player. You want to teach him, coach him up, and as long as he's getting better and working as hard as he can work, then you stay with him. But I think that's part of the problem. He was benched from first team at the beginning of this season to third team, and he was trade bait, according to reports as well, and they couldn't get an offer good enough to trade him, so they went ahead and held on to him. And that was in part because he was not working as hard as he needed to work. Reports coming out of the complex where Washington practices were that he wasn't showing up early enough, he wasn't staying late enough. The things that you would expect a young quarterback to do, be the first one in, be the last one out, all those different things, and it showed up on the field. But then, Zubin, it got worse. Actually, then it got unforgivable, in my opinion. Because then in October, he's benched, he's 13 now. He violates COVID protocol on the road. And is fined. Okay, that's bad. Then in December here, just recently, he was fined again $40,000 for violating COVID protocol a second time. And and who knows what happened between those two. These are the only two times that he got caught. Maybe nothing, maybe something. If I'm in that locker room, I don't trust anything about him at this point. Now think about it. For the second time here in December, he violated COVID protocol. Thinking that he wouldn't get caught. Knowing that it was a violation. And if I'm in that locker room, I am utterly livid. And to me, that's unforgivable. Because if you do a typical knucklehead rookie thing, you jeopardize your own availability, your own health, that hurts the team, okay. But in the pandemic, if I'm in that locker room, I'm thinking that he jeopardized my health, Mm. my availability, and the health of my family. And that's a line you never cross. But then it gets worse. Because the head coach of Washington is Ron Rivera. He's been battling cancer all year. He has had chemotherapy treatments at halftime of games. Mm. Chemo at halftime. And Dwayne Haskins made the choice twice to violate COVID protocol and come back into that uh, complex. And he was caught both times. What if he wasn't caught? Mm. What about the risk he put to the person in the highest risk category? A guy whose immune system is compromised because of chemo, for goodness sake. If I'm this coach, I I will tolerate him as long as I need him. And then as a player, when he's no longer needed, I would help to throw him out the door so hard he doesn't land until Pennsylvania. I would wish him well on the flight. But there is no possible way, in my opinion, if that happens to my locker room, that I would want a guy like that back in the locker room. If it weren't a pandemic and he was a great player, Okay, all right. Then we'll, maybe we'll give him another chance. Of course, we would give him another chance. But he's not a great player. He doesn't maximize his own potential. And it is a pandemic. And it is unforgivable, in my opinion. And so I don't think he'll be with Washington. And I agree. I don't know that he'll be anywhere in the NFL. Somebody might give him a chance. But right now, there's not as many teams that are in a desperate quarterback wasteland as there were five years ago. And so we'll see what happens. Unbelievable. So Trev just mentioned Ron Rivera. Here is Coach Rivera. When asked, did you think about pulling Haskins a little bit earlier? Yesterday's performance, a loss to Carolina, and the inability to clinch the NFC East, which is still out there for the Washington football team if they win on Sunday against the Eagles. But Ron Rivera on the quick hook that could have been quicker. I did, but as I was thinking about it, the one thing I thought was when we came out last week, we were able to move the ball and put points on the board. So I was hoping for that same thing. The only problem was, unfortunately, they went on a seven-and-a-half-minute drive to open up the third quarter and until we got the takeaway. 
Again, the Washington football team plays the Eagles Sunday night football. Philly has been eliminated from playoff contention. It's a simple win and in scenario, despite everything that has happened to Dwayne Haskins. Let me give you my thought on Dwayne Haskins. And I've been really waiting on Dwayne Haskins this year because, to your point, he's been basically a non-factor. And if you're a Washington football team fan, what you really need to hope is Alex Smith can get back out there from the calf injury, clearly giving you the better chance to win. People are going to laugh at this because they're going to look at this and say, Zubin, you're crazy. This is just a one-time moment. This was just, this happened when the camera was on him. You can't take this as a takeaway thought. This is just, this is just my thought. If you're, if I'm crazy, you wouldn't be the first person to say that about me. But I think back to the 2019 draft, the Giants are on the clock at number six. They've got the opportunity to draft Dwayne Haskins. They bypass him. They go to Daniel Jones. The pick is universally panned. And by the way, I love our ESPN colleagues. Every one of the guys on our ESPN set, Terrible pick. This is awful. Gettleman has lost his mind. The team's GM. What is he doing? This makes absolutely no sense. And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is anything great. He's a fumbling machine. He's always banged up. Right now he's working through a hamstring and an ankle injury. The jury is out on whether Daniel Jones will ever be the answer in New York. So I'm not pinning this on him. But the moment they drafted Daniel Jones, you know what happened? You remember watching the draft on ESPN? So Daniel Jones' family celebrates. Everyone's booing. Everybody's killing him on social media. And then they cut to a shot of Dwayne Haskins, right? Because he could have been that pick. They cut to a shot of Dwayne Haskins at his draft party, and he's smirking. He's smirking because another team fulfilled another guy's lifelong wish to be an NFL quarterback. And he's like, could have had me. And he smirked. Bro, I got news for you. You're standing behind an offensive line that is giving you all time to throw, right? You can stand there with a sundial. With that protection at Ohio State and whip up on Minnesota and Nebraska and Purdue and Rutgers and Maryland. You go do that, bro. You got a line back there that's giving you all day and all night to throw. And if you throw a 50-50 ball in the air, all of Ohio State's receivers are going to go grab those passes against those inferior Big Ten opponents. This is the NFL, of which I've never played a minute, but you have. I'm just telling you, when I saw him smirk and say, you could have had me and you're going for Daniel Jones, I got news for you. Daniel Jones ain't so great. Bro, you're 10 times worse. Yep. 10 times worse. Yep. And then when it comes to leadership, you've got to do it in the NFL in order for teams, or excuse me, for players in the locker room to choose to have you as their leader. Now, he was made team captain. Uh, early. How does that happen? Well, because way? I think it's like you take that, that slow kid in track, give him a blue ribbon, hopefully he'll run a little bit faster. I kind of think that's what it was. That captaincy was stripped after his second fine for COVID violation here just in the last week or two. But the thing is, in an NFL locker room, what you don't do is show up and declare yourself the leader. You earn it. This is a room filled with alphas, people that are among the best in the world at what they do, the most competitive in the world at what they do. And you don't just show up and say, okay, I'm your captain. Here we go. No, you do things. You behave in a way that they say, I'm following that guy. Chase Young has done that with that Washington football team. Dwayne Haskins is not. And so you talk about doing all that stuff in college. Yeah, that's really, really nice. At the NFL, if you don't do it, you're not a leader. Sorry, buddy. Well said. On the way, as crazy as it sounds, as the playoffs approach, are we undervaluing the greatest player in NFL history? Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, the podcast.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, welcome back. It's a Monday. We're getting ready for an incredible week 17 Sunday in the NFL. The fellas are off. We'll all be back together Monday, January 4th. We'll get you ready for the NFL playoffs. Still plenty to determine before we get there. Our new ESPN radio lineup begins on Tuesday, January 5th, when Mike Greenberg will follow our show on many of these ESPN radio stations. With the fellas on a little bit of a break, it's a pleasure to have Trevor Maddich in, the ESPN college football analyst and college football national champion, played in the NFL, and it's a football Monday, and there's no better person to have breaking down both the collegiate game with the playoff on Friday, the playoff semifinals, and a great Week 17 coming on Sunday. On Saturday, the Bucks of all teams clinched a playoff spot. Now, this is not indicative of Tom Brady. He's back in the playoffs for the first time in one year. <laughs> but the Bucks are back in the playoffs for the first time in 13. It's actually the second longest playoff drought in the NFL behind, of course, the Cleveland Browns. But they take care of the Lions, who were missing coaches. Brady wasn't missing anybody. Firing left and right. Didn't even play the second half. They're in. Currently, the five seed. The top wild card this year. Bruce Arians, head coach on what his team has done to this point. Yeah, it's just the beginning. You know, our, our goal when we started out, especially in this year, was just to get in the dance. And, uh, you know, now it's to win 11 games and, uh, and, um, and see where we stand and where we're going and know who we're playing. And uh, really, really proud of our guys. Our guys did a great job of preparing this. But you could feel this was a playoff, playoff practice week, even with the holidays. They handled their business well. So despite it all, that's Bruce Arians, despite his quote-unquote tension-filled relationship with Tom Brady, which both of them have gone out of their way to say there is no such thing, but there is some reporting on that, despite getting swept by the Saints and looking terrible in the second game, despite somehow overcoming Aaron Rodgers and whipping Green Bay, despite somehow knowing how many downs there were in a game in the fourth quarter in Chicago, despite all of that, the ups, the downs, they are a 10-win football team. They could be an 11-win football team in the playoffs Again, and for all the talk about Rodgers and for all the talk about Mahomes, Trev, you are saying there is not enough talk about Tom Brady. Brady deserves to be in this conversation. Not necessarily to win it, but to be in the conversation as somebody who's qualified and having an MVP style season. And it's not because of stats. I mean, he's thrown for over 4,200 yards, right? Which puts him at fourth in the league and there's only one playoff quarterback who will be ahead of that, and that's Mahomes. Uh, He's had his down moments as well. Yeah. He's played pretty bad at times. But what you said about Tampa being in the playoffs, Zubin, to me is the big thing. Because it's not just keeping going a dynasty or, or continuing greatness, which is what 
Aaron Rodgers is doing with the Packers and what Patrick Mahomes is doing with the Chiefs. Sometimes it's about elevating a team way beyond what they've been, Mm. not just in recent memory, but forever. You know, 2007 was the last time Tampa made the playoffs. And here comes Brady in the first year that he's there. He elevates them to the playoffs. They didn't win their division, but they had a long, a lot farther to go to get from where they were to where they are now than the Packers did or the Chiefs did. And that's one of the reasons I think that Brady deserves to be in the conversation for MVP. No doubt. I'd add two things to that. One, if you talk about a team like New Orleans, the team that's ahead of them in the division, right? They've had the triplet scenario of Breeze and Kamara and Michael Thomas there for a while. So even though there was truncated training camp, even though there was no OTAs and offseason work, those guys have been together for a long time. Brady had Gronk. That's about it. He had no relationship with Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones or Chris Godwin or any of these other guys. Obviously, Antonio Brown is a guy that he had a relationship with. Mike Evans. He had to work and figure all of this out, and he's been able to do it. Again, they could be an 11-win team finishing the top wildcard spot, and maybe most importantly for Tom Brady, though he won't verbalize it, Bill Belichick is out of the playoffs and Tom Brady is mm. in the playoffs. This is one comparison, and I'm not, I'm not equating the two, even though they're goats in their respective sports in the minds of many. I've always believed, and maybe there's a corollary here that, that you would agree with, maybe you wouldn't. I'll just ask it to you. I believe... If you took LeBron James and put him on the worst team in the NBA, they'd be in the playoffs. Like the worst team in the NBA. Like the Sacramento Kings, for example. Hmm. They have the longest playoff drought in the NBA. We talk about the Browns and the Bucks having the playoff drought. The Kings have not been to the playoffs, I believe, in 14 years. Longest drought in the NBA. If you put LeBron on the Kings tomorrow, they would be like challenging for like a top four spot in the West. And I believe that. To me, there's a part of Brady that feels that way too, right? He just brings something into your organization because winning begets winning, right? If all you've done is won, you just expect to win. Now, I'm not saying he could go to the Cincinnati Bengals or somebody like that and move him into the playoffs because football's a dependent position. I got to be able to throw to guys that can catch all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there is something about Brady moving in and saying, even though I just got a two-year, $50 million deal and I'm basically halfway through the deal, We are changing the culture. Whether we win a Super Bowl or don't, I am going to leave this organization in a way, 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 way better place than I found it. And for some people that are just like binary and they're just like either he wins a Super Bowl or he doesn't. Either he doesn't or he does. I just think there is something to be said for moving into an organization and putting him in a far better position even after he departs. You know, Zubin, you said the word culture, and that is huge. Four or five years ago, the Patriots came down to scrimmage the Washington football team in training camps. They spent a few days there. And so I was watching Brady with great interest because when it, it looked completely different, the way that Brady ran that practice. And what do you mean? Me, what do you mean? Brady ran it. It was a machine. Everything was precise. Every rep of every drill by every Patriot had a specific purpose for that player. They knew exactly what they wanted to get out of this rep of this drill. There was no wasted motion. And Brady was the one running it. It wasn't Belichick. (laughs) It was Brady running it on the offensive side. And I looked at Washington, and they ran training camp like NFL teams run training camp. Nothing wrong with the way they ran it. But compared to what Brady did, it was sloppy. I mean sloppy. Not that it was. It's just that that's how tight Brady ran it. That's the culture of the Patriots. That's part Belichick. It's part Brady. But that's the culture you're talking about that Brady brings to Tampa. That offense, when he leaves, will approach their week of preparation completely differently Mm. because they've been put on a runway that they would not have been on had it not been for Brady. How dangerous can they be? We know they're in. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to go on the road um, to make some hay, most likely. 
Um, how dangerous are they? Is this a Super Bowl team? Let me just let me just brass tax it. Is this a Super Bowl quality team? They have a chance. the The question is, can the offensive line hold up? The defense is playing lights out. They're stopping the run. They can make opposing offenses one-dimensional. That one dimension is pretty awesome. <laughs> when you look at I mean, come on, Aaron Rodgers, if you want to make him a one-trick pony, which he isn't, they're, they're running the ball pretty well. But they can make opposing offenses one-dimensional. The issue they've got is the line. They drafted Tristan Wirfs in the first round out of Iowa, and he's going to be a really good tackle for them for a long time. But they still have work to do along the offensive line. The question will be if – that O-line can't hold up because if it does, I don't trust any quarterback in the league more than Brady at being able to attack the specific need of the moment. That means he doesn't overpower them with physical ability to, to drill the ball through a tight window 40 yards down the field like Aaron Rodgers can or to make magical plays like Patrick Mahomes does. Brady can't do that. But what he does do is he knows exactly where the weak spot of your defense is going to be pre-snap. After the snap, he confirms it or he sees the disguise and he knows immediately what the new weak spot is, and he goes there. And he's got the skill people with Mike Evans, and even Gronk, as you mentioned before, is doing much better now. He's getting involved more. He's got the ability to hit those weak spots in the need of the moment, and that's what makes them dangerous on offense. I couldn't agree more. It's amazing to think of everything he's been able to do, and I understand he's 43. After what I saw in the first half Saturday, and I understand the quality of competition is the Detroit Lions, but after what he's done in this league— the fact that he's not getting the benefit of the doubt like somebody that's like Drew Brees when totally healthy or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, I just think that is a travesty. I have no idea what this guy needs to do to get the benefit of the doubt, but maybe that's the motivation he needs for yet another Super Bowl in his first year in Tampa. Incredible. We'll see. Bucks are in. How far will they go? We will see. On the way, win number two leads to pick number two with way more than two options for the Jets. What should they do? We discussed on the way. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, the podcast.